podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Thanks for choosing this free Anfield Index podcast. If you'd prefer to listen to this or any of our other shows without adverts, then now's the time to check out Anfield Index Pro. With AI Pro, you can supercharge your entire listening experience. You'll not only get all of our podcasts without the ads, but you'll have them far faster with our quick publish feature available exclusively for subscribers. AI Pro also puts you in the heart of our sound studio with an option to listen to many of our shows live and interact with the podcasters in real time as the shows are recording. Upgrading couldn't be easier. AI Pro is available on all popular podcast platforms and we have our own apps for Apple and Android. Just head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com and get started today. Hello and welcome to AI Scouted on Anfield Index Pro. I'm Dave Hendrick, joined as always by Mr. Carl Matchett. How are you, sir? Middling at best. How are you? I would be better if my club weren't sitting on their hands while other clubs make themselves better. That's basically where I find myself. Yes, that seems reasonable. I mean, I've just been watching uh, Arsenal fans decide that their sporting director needs to be sacked for signing somebody. <laughs> so one can only imagine the uh, the delights that we could be in for in a, in a parallel universe, but not today. Yeah, it's a magnificent thing with Arsenal fans who are top of the league, largely because of a team built by said sporting director, but they have signed Jorginho from Chelsea in a deal that they got done very, very quickly. And Arsenal fans are having temper tantrums because it's not Moises Caicedo, despite the fact that there was never really a chance of them signing Moises Caicedo because Brighton just rejected their bids without consideration. There were no discussions, no negotiations. There was an offer made, an offer rejected, another offer, another offer rejected. And that was it. That's as far as that went. What Fabrication Romano led them to believe was something wildly different to the reality of the situation. You've got Jorginho. You've also signed Leandro Trossard, who's a good player. And you've signed uh, Paul Kiwar, who's a decent young centre-back. All in all, you've addressed all three areas of the field. I understand that you thought you were getting Mudrik. You didn't get Mudrik. I understand that you hoped... You would get Caicedo. You didn't get Caicedo. But you did get three players in. Now, I still think that Jorginho one's an odd one, but he at least is a body in midfield, which might become prevalent if a certain midfielder disappears for a little while. Um, Chelsea, meanwhile, continue to try and buy everybody. Manchester United are working on bringing in Marcel Sabitzer. Manchester City are sending out on loan... Joe Canseo, and we are doing absolutely fuck all. Nat Phillips will not be leaving the club, Carl, because Ibu Kanate is injured and now out for about two weeks. So it's that was the news, isn't it? Yeah, that was the news that we got today. Um, you want to talk about wanting to sack people? Uh, there are people at Liverpool who should be sacked because they're just clearly not good at their jobs. I mean, I, I don't really want to talk about Liverpool and transfer market because. Um... I mean, we could go through the squad, but to be honest, if we just do the ones who are fit and available, it's not going to take us very long, is it now? So let's let's just leave it at that and go straight on to the game, I think, because um, otherwise, you know, people are just going to start turning off this podcast and we're not going to want to say anything on it anyway. Exactly. So let's get into the podcast itself. Liverpool take on Wolverhampton Wanderers 
in the Premier League on Saturday at Molyneux. This will be the second meeting in a couple of weeks between these, sorry, the third meeting in a couple of weeks between these teams. Uh, We met them at Anfield in the FA Cup. The game ended 2-2 and they were probably fairly unlucky not to get the win in that one. A perfectly good goal was disallowed. And then we beat them at Molyneux in the replay. The first game in which we saw uh, this new midfield of Naby Keita, Stefan Basetic and Thiago, the midfield that Klopp has started in every game since. Um, can we take much of anything from either of those games, Carol, considering we weren't, we weren't particularly good in either, if we're being <laughs> honest? Um, I think what we can take from it is that the level that we're playing at at the moment is good enough to not lose to the very worst teams in the league. Which is is an improvement. Mm. It's an improvement on where we were a few <laughs> weeks ago. Um, this is the first league meeting between these sides because obviously the previous one was postponed because uh, Queen Elizabeth rudely decided to just go ahead and die uh, when we were about to play a game of football. So... Um, it is interesting just to get to play one team sort of three times in a month and see, you know, where you stand against them. But like you said, I mean, Wolves were bottom of the league when we met them first, or certainly they were in the bottom three. Uh, They have now climbed up to 17th. Um, They've had a dreadful season. I think it's fair to say they've had an appalling season. In their first nine games, they suffered five defeats, managed three draws and won only once. Um, then they beat Nottingham Forest. They, so they beat Southampton. They beat Nottingham Forest. Then they went five without a win, four defeats in there. Uh, but since Julian Lopetegui has taken over, they have two wins and a draw from their five Premier League um, appearances, which is a significantly better outcome than what they were experiencing before that. I mean, I had Wolves uh, as a, as a side to go down this season in the, in the preseason predictions, let's say Um, I didn't like the summer work that they did. I didn't think that they addressed properly the needs that they had up until they signed Sasha Kalzic, which I thought was a very, very good addition for them um, because he's a good forward, but also because he would help them get the most out of what was a really good attacking midfield line, but who didn't really necessarily have maybe final third sticky qualities, let's say, in terms of, of build-up play. Uh, losing him so quickly as they did was was huge. have to acknowledge that. That was a really um, difficult thing for them to overcome because of the timing of it, because of the expense of that deal. And I don't really think that they've ever managed to you know, find an alternative way of doing things, basically. Um, Lopetegui sort of looked like he had them a little bit better set up uh, initially. It hasn't really been the case since then. Um, uh, Liverpool beat them, yes, that's that's a positive that we'll take, and I think that that's our only victory in the last six. So, again, looking forward to this weekend, that should be good. Um, but that's only one win as well for them in the last uh, seven, I think, or across all competitions. So, can't really say that the the new manager bounce is, is having any kind of prolonged effect for them. It's still very tight at the bottom there, so it doesn't matter too much at the moment. And, you know, one win takes you from 
the relegation zone to like 14th at the moment. So it's not mm. the biggest of deals because everybody else is very, very busy being very, very bad down there at the moment. Um, I think Wolves will still be okay, actually. And I think that I probably have seen enough from Lopetegui in terms of the defensive organisation to feel that they can still get enough points. I mean, I'd say that they've not really won... Uh, many games or points recently but they have had a very difficult fixture list as well that run started against Man United they played Villa obviously who have a new manager themselves played Liverpool twice played Man City so it's not been a, a very very easy run let's say um, probably West Ham was the only must win game in there and they did so I, I do still think that they are marginally on the right track it's just it's a very very slow improvement for them Yeah I mean they're quite fortunate in that there are a lot of bad teams in the Premier League this season. And like you said, you know, you win a couple of games, you can really climb that table. Uh, There are three points separating Southampton in 20th, Leicester in 14th, only uh, six points between Southampton and 13th place Nottingham Forest, who looked dead and buried about three months ago. Obviously, World Cup break takes out six weeks that, but, you know, so six weeks of playing time, Forest have gone from looking like they were definitely going down to all of a sudden they look like they might end up comfortable enough in mid in mid table rather. So you mentioned Wolves' summer business. Uh, they brought in Nathan Collins, who I think's been really good for them this season. They've been a little bit shaky at the back, but I think a lot of that is down to Jose Sa kind of regressing to the goalkeeper we thought he was rather than the keeper he showed himself last season. Uh, they made Huang Hee Chan's deal a permanent deal. He's been hit and miss. Uh, Goncalo Guedes, he was mostly miss and has since been loaned back to Benfica, or loaned out to Benfica. Matthias Nunes, who started well, got injured, and then some absolute clown of a caretaker manager who I think used to be a snooker player, Decided he was a number 10 and wasted him as a number 10 for weeks and weeks and weeks. They bought Sasa Kalasic, who got injured on his debut. Then they brought in Diego Costa as a free agent. And I mean, he's done absolutely nothing for them. But they have been very active in this window, Carl. They brought in Mario Lamina from Nice for just under 10 million. Now, he was at Southampton and obviously it didn't go well. But he did have a really good loan with Fulham where I thought he played particularly well. They brought in Pablo Sarabia. That was a a very cheap deal. They brought in Craig Dawson. Again, another cheap deal. Gives them a bit of depth at centre-back. Daniel Bentley arrived to give them another option in goal. And now Joao Gomes, the young Brazilian midfielder, uh, arriving for a fee in the region of £17 million. Very highly regarded. Gives them another set of legs in midfield. Uh, they'd also brought in a couple on loan. Um, Bubakar, Bubakar Traore brought in from Mets, who looks a player, does look a real player in midfield. And Matthias Cunha, who is the kind of the, the big fish that they got, uh, it looks like they're already fairly certain that they'll make that deal a permanent one if they stay up. So they have brought in a lot of players, and in this transfer window, they've been very, very aggressive going out, getting Cunha and five permanent deals done. Um, Six if we count young Max Ruddock, but he's not a first-team player at this point. I have to say, I'm impressed to see them backing the manager the way they had, the the way they have. But I 
I think having chased him for so long and waited for him, I think they had to really go full on in terms of backing him, didn't they? Are you that person who has everything? The coolest merch and those must-have fan threads? Well, over at our Anfield Index shop, we've gone that extra mile when it comes to pimping up your Liverpool collection. From our popular range of bespoke design t-shirts, sweaters, hoodies and hats, to our signature edition mugs, prints and coasters, all provided with fast worldwide shipping. We have something for every red. We also stock official LFC merchandise and are licensed with the Premier League and UEFA to sell official iron-on shirt badges and sleeve patches. As a listener to this podcast, you can get 10% off everything with coupon code AIPRO10. Just head over to AnfieldIndex.shop or find us on Etsy by searching for Anfield Index. Yeah, definitely so. I mean, you can imagine that it was uh, something along the lines of his agreement joining them for the rest of this season. As long as they stay up, then he would stay on. If he went down, I don't think that we would see Lopetegui uh, agreeing that his career path would be Spain national team very, very briefly. Uh, Real Madrid, Sevilla, Wolves Championship. I don't think that that was going to happen, to be honest. But they've got an opportunity there. If they can survive by spending a bit more uh, in this January window, give themselves a bit of a platform for improvement across the next two years, they're getting those pieces into place now. I mean, there's no way Gunya, for example, does not be a, a really, really good signing for them if they can get the right balance down, let's say, the left-hand side if he's playing off that side. Um, if they get another number nine for him to play off, that sort of thing, he's just he's too good of a player uh, to not be really, really effective for them. And maybe it is even a case of just waiting until uh, Kalazic is back to full fitness and then you sort of start getting your partnerships in the build-up and in the attack in third in order and you're probably looking at a, a mid-table attack there even if they do lose Nunez in the summer um, still a few issues to sort over people who have been there and in the team for maybe a couple of years too long um, you know, people like Jean Moutinho they are now moving on from that centre-back three who just seem to be mm. immovable for ages but there's still bits to do in, in midfield on that but they have saleable assets too which is the other big thing for Wolves Yeah and it it may come that in this summer a couple of those saleable assets get moved on it looks very much like Liverpool have something in place potentially with the agent if not the club for Matthias Nunes to bring him in I would be Quite surprised if Ruben Neves is still at Wolves next year. I think he's more than done his time there. I don't think they could be in any way bitter if he did choose to move on. He signed in 2017 when they were a championship club and was key in getting them up, key in keeping them up, key in everything they've been able to accomplish since coming up. He's an outstanding player who at 26, as he will be in March, needs to be playing for a top club or, or a club certainly that will challenge for Champions League football. Um, they've got Pedro Neto, who's a very exciting player. Now, obviously, the injuries have definitely taken his career in a slightly different path, but there's a lot of good players here. And I, I like the centre-back pairing of Collins and Kilman. I really like Aitnuri. I'm not really sure why Lopetegui doesn't like him. As a left-back, the um, continued use of Hugo Bueno, who is you know no bueno when it comes to defensive work, is a little bit odd. 
Very good, very good. Did you like that one? Did you like that one? He's got a brother as well called Gile Bueno. I was going to try and work that one in, but we, we'll, leave it at, we'll leave it at that. Um, yeah, I mean, it, I think there's there's the makings of something there. I'm not overly keen on their, uh, their, their starting right back. I don't think you are either in Mr. Semedo. He's, he's, he's grand, but he wouldn't, be, he wouldn't be someone you'd be queuing up to sign. Um. And then, like in midfield with Traore and with uh, Gomes, who they've just signed, those two young players plus Lamina, something is starting to take shape. Maybe for the the post Ruben Neves era at, at the club, and up front they've got Cunha, they've got Neto, they will get Kalasic back. You can see the makings of something that will will fit what Julian Lopetegui wants to do. Hello, I'm here to annoy you. I'm here to annoy you into listening to more of me and more of others on EPL Index. We don't just have the Anfield Index stuff. We've got EPL Index as well, which covers the entirety of the Premier League. And we have three podcasts and a whole bunch of really good writing on EPLindex.com. The podcasts are my own two-footed podcast, which is every day at 4 p.m., Monday through Friday, covering the whole league. We have a Tad Predictable hosted by Tadiwa. You know Tadiwa, he does Anfield Index. He presents a Tad Predictable before every Premier League match week. And then Kevin DeVries and his crew on the EPL Roundtable, there every week after the Premier League match week. So make sure you listen to everything we're doing on EPL Index and follow us there on Twitter at EPL Index. Thank you. Bye-bye. It's definitely a start. Um, you know, it's, it's obvious, obviously, that staying up is priority number one here. Like, this, these building blocks are being put into place for a top-flight team, not for someone who can potentially bounce back into the, uh, from the championship for the first time of asking if they need to. This is uh, quite a lot of work going into this to be contingent on survival this season by any means, really. And it might be that if... They don't go on like one of these three, four game winning streak or, you know, four wins out of five, something like that. It gets towards the end of the season. You might have to be a bit more pragmatic about it. And maybe you don't see, um, know, let's say Cunha, for example, just because he is one of the bigger names. Maybe he doesn't start all of the matches because they have to be very, very safety first about things. But if you can look at their fixture list, let's say through late April, uh, sorry, late March into early April, you know, they have Leeds at home, they have Forest away in back-to-back matches. If you can get you know, both wins out of that, you're probably starting to move clear already, to be honest, if you're just picking up the odd draw and win here and there along the way. Again, then later on in April, they have Brentford, Leicester back-to-back. They're not easy games, but they're games that they could get three points or four points from, or Palace the next match, they might get four from uh, nine available, something like that. Those are probably games where they'll look at little clusters of points to take them yeah. away before you know the, the the little run in at the end of the season where everybody is super stressed out and it looks like they're going down. Well, that's the thing, and, and obviously they've got three games now coming up against bad teams in Liverpool, Southampton, and Bournemouth that they'll probably be looking at and thinking, well, if we can get five points from here, that's a really nice springboard. Then we play three tougher games. Then we get the two easier games. Then Chelsea at home, that could be a winnable game if Chelsea haven't sorted the rack out. And then, like you said, there's three after that. And then in the last four games, they play Villa at home, 
and Everton at home, which, again, they're two winnable games. Um, even though I think Villa are a slightly better team than Wolves, it's a local derby, and Wolves are more than capable of beating Villa, and Villa are always going to be capable of, of crapping the bed. Plus, it's very unlikely that the Unai Emery uh, home, uh, sorry, away from home form carries on to that point in the season. So you are right. They can look at this season with little clusters of points to pick up. I definitely think they'll be okay. I think they've got enough quality. I think they've got the best manager down at that end of the table. You know, uh, you'd you definitely take him over um, Nathan Jones. You'd definitely take him over Gary O'Neill. I would be taking him over Moyes. I'd take him over Jesse Marsh. I'd take him over Brendan. I, and I would take him over Sean Dyche, who's only in the door at Everton. So I do think that might be worth a couple of points to them over the course of the remainder of the season as well. So all those points will come in handy. But look, both Bournemouth and Southampton are making big moves to strengthen in this window to, to make themselves better. Uh, West Ham, they've underperformed so drastically that you would assume at some point things start to fire normally Leeds have been active in this window Leicester are trying to get a few deals done so it, it is becoming very very tough down there like there's there's nobody who as yet has been cut away and there's nobody who as yet looks like a real lost cause Bournemouth were looking like a lost cause but I, I like what they've done in this January I think it'll go on for quite a while yeah I don't think that I mean, unless Southampton really don't get things together with with Nathan Jones, and again, I'm still not really willing to say what's going to happen there, just because I'm not familiar enough with his work and how he does his team building, and that it's been very, very difficult so far. But they've had a couple of wins in there along the way, like against Everton and uh, in the in the cup, obviously, where you think, well, maybe that's like a turning point for the squad. So I think it'll be very, very close down there. Maybe two of the what we got the minute seven at the minute who are basically in that relegation battle maybe two of them will go away because they'll just get really decent runs of results or mm. January arrivals will have a good impact or whatever but equally you could still see someone like Forrest go on a five yeah. match winless streak and suddenly be back in or, the mix again So or, or Palace who look a little bit mm. lost and a little bit stagnated under Possibly. Patrick Vieira at the moment I mean, as long as, uh, from a Liverpool perspective, obviously, these are, these are teams down there we shouldn't even have to worry about. Normally, we wouldn't do, but at the minute, these are the ones that we're looking at and thinking, well, maybe we can get three points here. Yeah, because, like, look, Palace have been awful for most of the season, and they're closer to us than we are to Spurs, who are fifth. So it has not been good for the Reds. In terms of... What we're expecting from Wolves this weekend, injury-wise, they've got no Neto. They've got no Chiquinho, who wouldn't start anyway. Uh, no Kalasic and no Bubakar Traore. All of them are out injured for at least another month by the looks of things. So, Jose Sa, Semedo and Bueno, Collins and Kilman in the middle... Neves, Nunes and... The third midfield one is a little bit tough because it's kind of been a rotating cast. Now, Joe Hodge, the young Irish kid, he had a really good game when they played us the first time. So I wonder if he might get an opportunity. It could well just be that he goes with 
with Germatinho, or he might start Lamina for his first start. Um, and then in attack, I, I assume Cunha, I assume Pedence, and maybe Huang is the third. Are you thinking much different than that? No, I mean, like you say, it's been a quite chop and change at the moment. I thought Cunha might have started the odd couple of games more than he has done so far. He's been mostly brought on as um, as a sort of impact player off the bench to try and change the game. I guess it's going to be more or less the same as it has been, like against Man City, um, he chanced start and left side for like a bit more deep balance and sort of defensive work alongside Nunez and that allowed Bueno to get forward a little bit more so you maybe think that it'll be something along the same lines there um, to sort of combat the Trent and Salah supposed partnership um, it didn't do them too much good but at the minute Lopetegui obviously is still trying to work out those those new partnerships for, for his squad so I don't think that there'll be too many new faces in there but I wouldn't be surprised if Sarabia starts at least Oh, that's a good shout. I hadn't thought of that. He he probably will start because he does seem to be one that the manager was very, very keen on getting in. Um, Lamina is somebody, I think, as well, that he kind of pushed for. He tried to bring him to Sevilla when he was there and missed out. So I'd imagine those are sort of more his signings. And then people like Gomes and Cunha might be more, um, not to suggest that he makes all the decisions there, but they might be more George Mendes signings. Um, Gomes to me is basically an admittance that Matthias Nunes is away in the summer and this is, this is the replacement. So, um, yeah, I mean, look, they're, they're going to be, they're, we know they're going to be hardworking. We know they're going to be well organized. We know they're going to be tough to beat, but there's definite flaws in their team. There's, there's a reason they are where they are, even though I, I think that's an underperformance. Um, they are seven, they are 17th for a reason. They have not played well this season. They have struggled to score goals. Defensively, they've been quite good. Um, only 30 goals conceded. The only team down there with a better goal, uh, better defensive record is Everton, who played the most unwatchable bilge in the league. And then West Ham, who really shouldn't be down there. But they do have the worst attack in the league, and that's that's obviously something they're going to need to rectify if they want to stay up. I, I just like the description of Everton. Unwatchable bilge. That should it's, be the name of our new podcast. <laughs> that, that we should we should launch an Everton podcast. Call it that because you know Daishi is is a much better manager than Frank. But the football, while it will be better, it will be purely survival football. Can I um, can I point out that this at the moment might not actually need to be an Everton specific one, but just a Merseyside football one. <laughs> unwatchable bilge on Merseyside hands, acro- hands across Stanley Park unwatchable <laughs> bilge everywhere we are a horrible team to watch at the moment and that's where I want to go next Carl we played Brighton at the weekend and Jurgen came out afterwards and said it was an improvement on the um, the previous trip to Brighton which it was but it wasn't good For about 60 minutes, we were, I would say, okay. And I'm stretching to reach okay. But when Klopp made the substitutions, we became dreadful. We lost all control and shape in midfield. 
we lost all purpose going forward and they went from not really threatening us too much to all of a sudden looking like they were the team that was going to win the game. And it got worse then with each passing substitution, but it started with those three on 60. Once he introduced Henderson and Milner, we just, we had, we had nothing to offer in that game. It was uh, it was quite laughable to be honest. I mean, let, let's let's not even pretend that anybody other than Fabinho put in the worst performance of the day because that five minutes plus injury time was it was something special. I mean, it was a Henderson recent performance level off the bench, but not in a Henderson way. It was Fabinho's very own special um, tribute act, and goodness me. Uh, he probably shouldn't be available for the next three games, let's be perfectly mm. honest. But he is, so he can be one of our players on the bench this week because <clears throat> that midfield you mentioned and referenced that first came together against Wolves, uh, how we've ended up with this three being the three, I've no idea. Um, but remember, Carl, we have eight options for three positions, so we have low, well, we're, we're well, sorted in midfield. Listen, listen, one of the three was not one of the eight, so uh, no. it's... It's a concern. Um, at the moment, I think it probably is the only possible... Uh, I'm not going to say solution because I don't think it's been a solution yet, but I, don't, I think that this is the only possible route to trying to find a solution. I don't see that any of the other options at the moment, perhaps by Curtis Jones, have a shout at being involved because they've been that bad. They've been mm. so, so poor so consistently. And I think Curtis Jones has been okay, actually, when he's come off the bench and had bit of um, time to get involved in play but that also could be because he's coming on in short bursts and some of the time obviously he's been sort of left uh, left side of attack and it's very easy to look a little bit more lively and involved when you're compared to the midfield performances that we have had over the last few months um, so maybe yeah. maybe it's not actually Curtis Jones playing all that well but just an indication of just how bad that we are being I, I think it might be a combination of both. I do think Curtis has looked a little bit better of late. Obviously, he missed so much of the season with the um, with the, the stress injury in his leg, whatever that injury was. It sounds to me like it was a stress fracture, but um, what, whatever it was, he has looked a little bit better of late. The question is, can he play and then play again a couple of days later if he's been asked to do more than 15 minutes? That's... I think the next question he has to answer. But I said that on Twitter today. If your starting midfield three contains an 18-year-old who, while very, very promising, shouldn't be anywhere close to the starting 11 for a team with the ambitions that we should have, and two injury-prone players, one of whom is leaving in the summer on a free, your midfield situation is an absolute mess. And when you look at the other options, let's take Curtis to one side for a second. Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain, injury-prone, not trusted by Klopp in midfield and leaving on a free in the summer. Jordan Henderson has not been good for three years. You can't name me one run of form in the last three years that he's been good at, good for. Fabinho has been dreadful since probably April. It's not just this season. The signs with Fabinho started last season that he was running down to a point of almost breaking. James Milner, who's 37 years of age and can't run. And then you've got Harvey Elliott, who's not a midfielder. They are the other options outside of 
the three who are currently starting. So it has to be Curtis. If there's going to be a fourth midfielder right now, it has to be Curtis. The problem with, with that is you can only bring Curtis in for Naby or Thiago. You can't bring him in for Basetic because he can't play the six and neither of the other two can either. So you've got one kid and he is a child capable of playing the holding midfield role and three lads all with big question marks over them who can play the number eight positions and that's it. And we have sat on our hands through this transfer window because allegedly there wasn't any midfielders available that could have improved on this esteemed list that I've just given you. Well, look, I, I've said this several times now, and I think that it is still the case, even if we only have these players available who we've got at the moment, and it's got to be a double pivot at the minute. And I think that there's enough people here who suit the double pivot. I mean, you can't tell me that our build-up play would suffer because we had, let's say, Thiago alongside Basetic. It wouldn't. No. Um, it, it just wouldn't. It's, defensively, we would be... I think okay if you had let's say Jones on one side and Cato on the other very narrow um, there would be work to do there for sure but I think that it it allows us to be a little bit more compact a little bit more difficult to break down when we're stretched across the pitch and even someone like Cody Gakpo who's struggling to be honest at the moment playing a, a role which is not his primary role he hadn't had loads and loads of experience in and we probably didn't buy him to be used in that role he could probably benefit from going left side in a four as well at the moment so I think there are ways around it, even if we, we were simply not able to buy anybody else. Uh, I don't think that we're, we're really going about things in the optimal way to find solutions to this ongoing rubbish performance level, to, to sorry, to the bilge. And I, I think that there's a, a too much element of refusal to change away from a system that everybody has used um, because it's not being played in the same way. It's not really the same system that we've used. It's just the same base formation, and it's not really helping us at this moment. No, it's not helping us at all. And look, the truth of it is that the, the midfield three only ever suited two players more than the rest. Everyone else, like Fabinho, Naby Keita, Thiago, they all came from teams that played a double pivot. Their experience primarily was in a double pivot for years dating up to their time signing for us. Ginny Wijnaldum was more suited to a two than a three, but he made it work. Emre Chan was more suited to a two than a three. The only two it ever really suited were Henderson and Milner because neither of them were good enough to play in a two. So we've compromised for years, in my view, to allow those two to have far longer careers at the club than they should have had. Now, there is no argument to be made. A double pivot is what suits this squad better. In fact, Fabinho's good performances this season came in a double pivot, but he has struggled every time in a three. And if you look at our best performances and best results this season. City at home, 4-4-2. Napoli at home, 4-4-2. That weird Spurs game where we were really good for an hour, we played a diamond, but it wasn't really a diamond because Bobby was playing so deep and the flanking midfielders were playing almost as wide midfielders. 
So it was in, in truth, it was a four, especially out of possession. Now at the weekend, Carl, we did see elements of a four where Cato went wide, Harvey dropped back from left wing to left midfield, but the shape was quite good and we were able to limit what Brighton were doing to us or doing against us, but it's very one-paced, it's very slow, it's very deliberate. There's no there's no agent of chaos in that midfield. And when you don't have the agent of chaos up front, you become a little bit predictable. So I, I do think Jürgen needs to seriously consider um, a change in shape, a, a proper change in shape to a midfield four. And if it wasn't for the centre-back injuries, I would be starting that midfield four with Trent on the right, Thiago plus whoever in central midfield. Besetic is the best option now. And then when he returns some injury, Diaz, but for now, Gakpo on the left. Yeah, um, I'd be open to any variation of that, to be honest. I think Kate has done enough to be staying in the side at the moment. He's He's been pretty solid locking things down in this channel. Putting the ball back quite well, and at times he's he's been fairly effective in moving the ball a bit quicker uh, in the final third as well. So I think one of him and Elliot as, as the shall we say, half blocker, half build-up wider midfielder. And then, like you say, you want to get someone a little bit more uh, inventive or a bit more pace or a bit more of a goal threat on the other flank. So since Carvalho has obviously now <clears throat> dropped out of the running somewhat, then it's got to be Gakpo, really. I mean, that's kind of his role, so I don't really get why he's just been persevered with at centre-forward. And Darwin has to start, as far as I'm concerned. I don't know if it's like too much of a, a recovery thing from, from the injury or if it's just a reluctance to put him back into the side but I think he has to be in the team just because he makes us very difficult to stop uh, even if it's not always the most refined and his combination play with Salah is not quite there yet I think he has to play just because he makes us unpredictable is, is correct but it's not really the word I want it is chaotic really it is just something that just goes completely against the grain of what we've done over the last 20 minutes and mm. even if we do stay in the 4-3-3 I very much hope he starts this game yeah I think he has to start I, I don't see that there's any reason not to start him um, if you wanted to leave out one of the front three who started against Brighton and you're insistent that Gakpo stay in the team um, then I, I think you should probably leave out Mo. Or get, not, not leave him out so much, as just give him a bit of a rest. Have him come off the bench or something. But Ali's put in a team, and I'm going to run it by you, but I'm going to make one change to it. Uh, because this is what I would like to see this weekend. So you've got Allison in goal. You've got Trent right back, Matip, Gomez, and Robbo. I think that's that picks itself. Now, he's got Harvey right side of midfield. I would play Naby right side of midfield because I, I want more defensive work in front of Trent. Besetic and Thiago was a double pivot. Gakpo on the left. And then Salah and Darwin as a two. Because, again, we need to get Salah more involved in more central areas because we've seen how devastating he's been in those areas this season. When we, he's been doing the linesman impression, he's been a non-factor in-game. So... I'd like to see that as a four-four-two. Yeah, I'd be open to that. And also, if you're putting Cater in there for Elliot, that 
quartet, but in the diamond with Gakpo as the 10, I think would also work quite well in terms of build-up play and having a little bit more variation in where the ball goes. It allows mm. Darwin and Salah to go in their respective channels, but still be central enough as well. Um, I think that that's not well, a yeah. huge difference from obviously the role that uh, the sorry the setup that we had previously but it would allow for a bit more aggression it allows Gakpo to be a little bit deeper as well where I think he might benefit most of where Gakpo's done well I think is in coming deep linking yeah. play on the turn linking play dropping it off to the midfielders and that sort of thing so I think it's probably the better way to go if we insist on having a one-two midfield um, but I, I would like I say prefer to go to a double pivot at this point yeah, because, I mean, with with that 11, Naby, Besetic, Thiago, Gakbo, as I say, a midfield four, it can be a flat four. It can be a skewed four where Naby tucks in on the right, Gakbo goes wide on the left. It can go to a diamond. It can go to 4-3-3 if you have that, you know, insistence that it must be 4-3-3. So it does give you flexibility within the same group of players without having to force anybody into a position that they're not comfortable in. Like, for me, watching Gakpo the last couple of games, I think defensively he's done okay, but he doesn't press with enough intensity to be effective off the ball as a nine, and he doesn't seem all that comfortable playing up against a centre-back with his back to goal. For a lad who's 6'4", he doesn't play his size all that well. Now, that's something that can be worked on and, you know, you get him on a strength and conditioning program, make him a little bit stronger so that he can absorb contact a little bit. But for now, in terms of getting more out of him, I would like to see him play either on the left or at the tip of a diamond, kind of withdrawn, where he can get on the ball and turn and see what's in front of him and, have Mo and Darwin making runs from in to out and out to in and give him more opportunity to get involved in the build-up play. And, you know, when you play that type of midfield three, you can also push those fullbacks on a little bit and give him more options in the wide areas. So I just think Jürgen needs to, first of all, he needs to stop trying to shoehorn Harvey Elliott into every team because you're doing nobody any favours. Secondly, I, th- I think he just needs to give up on this idea that it has to be a one and a two in midfield because it's just not working. It just isn't working for now. And it's not down to the individual players. It's more down to whether it's the idea, the approach, whether th- this team seems to be stuck between two models of playing which is the Klopp model and this kind of newer shape that is holding an influence that hasn't worked this season. I I just think Jürgen needs to maybe start looking back in order to move forward and look back at things that have worked for him in the past, not necessarily Liverpool, but things that he did at Dortmund that worked. Changes that he can make to this group of players now that can have a knock-on effect moving forward and maybe influence what you're doing in the transfer market as well for summer. Yeah, I mean, look, if Liverpool are making no moves today on deadline day, then summer has got to be one of considerable turnover, I think. So if they have ideas in mind, 
great and if he's got a, a very fixed direction where he wants it to go then cool but you know we're gonna he's risk. got a very fixed erection for Jude Bellingham and if we don't get top four I don't care if Jude Bellingham has given his word there is zero chance that FSG will fund 120 million pounds for anybody without Champions League football no chance at all I mean, my, my concern here is greater than Jude Bellingham, to be perfectly honest. If you miss out on Champions League football this year, Arsenal, Tottenham, Man United, a few teams have shown it's very, very difficult to just bounce back in to the top four next season. I mean, it doesn't stand still. And everybody has their own mm. ways of improving. And there is no no such thing as linear improvement in football, in team building, no. in terms of transfers and everything else. It took us how many times going backwards and forwards before we actually got to the top? And it's so, so difficult to stay there. You have no guarantee. Even if we don't get Jude Bellingham but spend Jude Bellingham money on three, four different players in the summer, there's no guarantee for Liverpool that they all work, that they no. all fit into the team and improve us in the way that we want to. There has to be changes made now to make this season better. Otherwise, yeah. it is a big risk that we struggle, let's say, at least to, to get back into the the top four, I suppose, is the the minimum. But really, we're looking higher than that. Well, if we're being honest, Arsenal have taken a major jump this season and are showing real ambition and will will spend again in the summer. City seem to be setting themselves up for a, a mega summer where a number of players might leave on for big money and a lot of players might arrive for big money. If Newcastle were to get Champions League this year, I think they're spending would would quicken. United seem to be sorting themselves out. They're obviously for sale as well. We'll see if anything comes of that. Who knows what happens with Tottenham. But Chelsea, I mean, if they get Enzo Fernandez across the line, you're looking at near enough £700 million spent, including the Nkunku money and the Malogusto money. You're looking at near enough seven hundred million spent since Bowley took over. Now, spending money is no guarantee of success, but that's a lot of good players they've brought in, and Graham Potter is a good manager. So I would, and the thing is, they won't hesitate to get rid of him and bring somebody else in who will make it work. So I would be very cautious of them for next season. So all of a sudden it does, it becomes much harder to say, oh yeah, but if we get Jude and Nunez and one more, then we're good. Because we're not good. Because we've still got an issue in defence where Virgil is now starting to pick up injuries, which never happened before. Kanate, we know, had injury problems before we got him. He picks up injuries. We've got no real cover for Trent. I think Andy Robertson is starting to decline. We know Costas isn't good enough to replace him. We might be losing Kelleher. So you've got to protect Ali. Like, there's a lot more needs to go into this squad than just the midfield. And the midfield is an enormous issue. An enormous issue. I I think we need four midfielders. And that's before we consider what do we do with Fabinho? Do we sell him? Do we keep him as a backup? Do we move him to centre-back? Maybe we sell Matip, move Fabinho back in as the fourth centre-back, move Gomez on and bring somebody else in as the third centre-back who you could maybe tag as the long-term Virgil replacement. 
But there's so much that needs to happen with this squad because it's been allowed to decay. And you mentioned that the Premier League doesn't stand still. And unfortunately, Liverpool have stood still. And it begun the summer they won the European Cup. They stood still. The following season, they did what they should have done the previous summer. Thiago, Jota, uh, Costas. There needed to be a centre-back that summer. It wasn't done. The next summer then, it was just Ibu when we needed a midfielder. And then this past summer, we basically just replaced players that left and didn't actually add and again ignored the midfield and have allowed the midfield, the centre-backs to get old, to get injury-prone. There's an awful lot needs doing. And because we've decided to sit this window out having signed Gakpo, it, it kind of leaves us having to do three or four windows worth of work in one summer transfer window or risk getting left behind. And if you miss on top four, you're not buying from the very top pool of players. You're having to buy from the secondary pool. And that's worked for us in the past when we had Michael Edwards and Ian Graham and people like that making the decisions on recruitment. Now we've got Jurgen Klopp making the decisions on recruitment and that doesn't sit well with me. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show. Please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically. There's nothing quite like fan engagement and we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show. The best way to get in touch is over on our free Discord community where both podcasters and listeners debate the hottest LFC topics 24-7. Sign up free now at anfieldindex.com forward slash discord. You won't regret it. You can also follow us on Twitter at Anfield Index and find us on Facebook by searching for Anfield Index. Oh, and before you go, we'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favourite podcast app. It only takes a couple of seconds and it means the world to the people who create these free shows. Yeah, I know we've been over this on, on several pods and it isn't a situation that Liverpool should have put themselves in and it's not a situation Liverpool can allow themselves now to stay in and the, that's something that needs to happen before summer uh, on a very clear path for when Julian Ward exits and whoever takes over and Jurgen Klopp's only focus really should be on fixing those 11 people on the on the pitch that's it there, there should be no further demand on him at this moment other than fix that and that's well, I say it starts with Wolves this weekend it, it doesn't start with Wolves this weekend it started with I mean take your pick earlier on in the season Napoli when we were absolutely battered and the the disparity the discrepancy between where we were and what we were then became very very clear but it continued in matches after that and was allowed to slide and it's gone on far too much now we, we've lost so many games this season and we've had more poor performances than defeats and against Wolves there's not really an expectation of a good performance but I do think that there can probably be a hope not an expectation that we can win the game at least mm. yeah but yeah, look look at our performances this season. Fulham, we were poor. Palace, we were poor. United, we were poor. Uh, Bournemouth, we were good, but they were garbage. Newcastle, we were poor. Everton, we were poor. Brighton at home, we were poor. Arsenal away, we were poor. City at home, we were excellent. West Ham at home, we were poor. Forest away, Leeds home. Uh, sorry, yeah, Forest away, Leeds home. We were awful in both of those. We were good for an hour against Spurs. 
Southampton, I thought we played okay. Uh, Villa, we were okay, but very, very open. Leicester, we were dreadful. Dreadful. Awful against Brentford. Awful against Brighton. And we were poor against Chelsea. That's in the league. Uh, In the cup, poor against Wolves. Okay against Wolves. Poor against Brighton. We weren't particularly good against Derby, but it was a, a, a team of kids. And then we were poor against City. And in the Champions League, we were poor against Napoli. We were poor against Ajax. We weren't great against Rangers. Then we were good against Rangers away, good against Ajax away. And we were good against Napoli at home. We were very good against Napoli at home. Like, you can count the good performances on on your fingers. And you're not even running out of fingers. Like, we have not been good this season. And it, it's it's just such a weird thing that people seem to just accept that this season is taking place. And if we end up in fourth, there will be an air of celebration about that. Look how well we did to come back. And why do we need to? Why have we put ourselves in this position? We have done this. This is not anybody else's fault. We have done this because I look at that Premier League. I don't see a single great team. I see a City team that are kind of in transition. I see a United team that are in the early phase under a new manager. A Newcastle team that are building an Arsenal team that are building. Now, they've had a few years, and they've obviously had very good results this season, but I don't think they're a great team by any stretch. Spurs are, are a, a, a weird, weird team this year. Brighton are good but not great. Fulham the same. Brentford's like, who am I looking at that I'm thinking, well, they should be ahead of us? There's nobody there. Nobody in that league that should be ahead of us. If we were doing what we were capable of, if we hadn't created this mess for ourselves, we would be running neck and neck with Arsenal at the very worst. I can't, can't disagree. I mean, whatever about teams doing well and improving on you. There's there's never any alteration mm. to that at all. You know, even if it's injuries or anything else, the vast majority of the time it's things that you've overlooked or opted against, basically. So... Um, Look, again, I think worth probably going over a few more specific bits to the Wolves match. Um, Atip and Gomez partnering up at centre-back is probably the, the main one. You mentioned at the top of the show, Canati out injured is likely to be three weeks or so. Uh, yeah. I had a look through for the last time Matip and Gomez started a Premier League game together, or alongside each other, I should say. So the last one that I could find was away to Southampton, which was May 2022, so the back end of last season. But on that occasion, Gomez was right back. Uh, Matip was obviously centre-back. They weren't really partnered up as such. Uh, Gomez also got subbed off at half-time in that match. So the last time they actually started at centre-back alongside each other in the Premier League was, if memory serves, this was the game we played 4-4-2, actually. It was against Man City away from home, and that was August 2020. That was the 1-1 game with Jota right wing. And uh, yeah. Matip and Gomez were centre-backs alongside each other. Yeah, and then Gomez got injured very quickly after that, didn't he? He blew his yeah, knee. A long absence after that, yeah. And Fabinho moved to centre-back. And, like, here's the, here's the question for you. Would you consider using Fabinho at centre-back to see if it can at least get his form back? before he's considered for a role back in midfield. 
Now, obviously, I would start Joel and Joe because they are centre-backs. But if one of them gets hurt, which is obviously uh, fairly likely, I think I'd look at Fabinho before I'd look at Nat Phillips to come in alongside the other. Because he's done well next to... He's played next to both. And he's done well next to both, particularly next to Matip. Those two, remember, had us top of the league after an extended run together in that 2021 season. And I, I kind of like to see if he could do a role, a, a, do a job there. And at least if he can, you could say, right, well, he's not a midfield option anymore because he doesn't have the mobility or whatever else. But at centre-back, his game is at least more suited to what we want there. Um, I mean, you could. I wouldn't personally. Um, I, I just think he's been so, so poor. I would be very, very against seeing him in defence where there's nobody else to make up mop up his mistakes which is usually his job for everybody else but he's been that poor on the ball he's been wandering out of position he's not really won aerial challenges his judgment in terms of timing has not been very good I don't think Um, so no I wouldn't be putting him in defence at the minute and I'm not one let's say to put people in the team to let them play themselves out of form if I don't think that I can see one that there is spark of where that form is going to come from but also to the effort and the real endeavour to get back that form you know it, everybody goes through bad form I'm not saying don't play people because they're not playing well because that's not what that's that's not my point here but it's where you know, sometimes you can see players very very frustrated with their own form but they're still working ridiculously hard I don't see that from any of the Liverpool midfield no so, no I absolutely wouldn't be putting him in because I don't think that he's doing enough individually to suggest that he's doing absolutely everything he possibly can to help the team. But the, the performance at, uh, off the bench against Brighton, yeah, poor from a technical perspective with the, the challenges and the passing and the, all the rest of it. But how many times did you see him really busting the gut in the final minutes? How many times did you see him really racing back to cover behind someone on the occasions that they mm. you know, went down the, the right channel or the left channel? He was only on pitch eight minutes. I don't see this yeah. from Fabinho at the minute. I don't see it from, like I said, many of the midfielders at the moment, but certainly not from Fabinho. So no, absolutely. Do, do you think the 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 tackle, the early tackle that he should have been sent off for? Like, if we're, I think we all agree he should have been sent off for the challenge on Ferguson. Do you think that did that challenge maybe shake him and get him kind of to the point where he was hesitant to? to do too much, like if he got in, into any other challenge, he thought he might go off? Or did it just, like, it could have just knocked his head. The player had to go off. Fabinho looked really upset that the player had to go off. He looked really upset in the immediate aftermath of the challenge he because he knew he'd gone through. He did, and maybe that's the case. That And, you know, understandable, every player reacts, and that's fine, but... Still, you you got to get on with it. To be perfectly yeah. honest, you no, I, I do agree. Get on with it. Um, Would it, you sell him in the summer if he carries on playing like this for the remainder of the season? Yes, hundred percent. We had this discussion not too long ago. I think it was maybe mm. the World Cup break, and we were going over who we would and wouldn't get rid of. And I think you know my, my stance on Fabinho then was more or less: let's see how he gets on when he comes back. And his first few appearances after the World Cup were marginally more impressive. They're not now. And whether that is a greater malaise seeping through to him from the team or whether it is his own performance unable to lift the team, I can't tell you. But if he doesn't play how we need him to, then yes, I would. Yeah, I think that's very fair. 
Um, last thing before I get your prediction, there is a, an article in the Liverpool Echo today that say, that states that sources at Liverpool have distanced themselves from interest in Paul Mitchell. He said the former Southampton chief has previously worked at RB Leipzig, yada, yada. The process of identifying a new sporting director has yet to get underway. And it is, it is, it is a decision that will be overseen by Klopp and Billy Hogan. It is understood that Liverpool have no plans to recruit a replacement while Ward continues to operate in the job himself. And work will go on inside the recruitment department under his job. Oh, sorry, under his watch. Now, Carol, there's, there's so many problems in those few sentences that I don't even know where to, where to begin. So for, forgetting the Mitchell part, the process of identifying a new sporting director has yet to get underway. What sort of half-arse club is this, if that is... I, I, if, if that's the case. If that's the case, people who are in charge of jobs should not be in charge of jobs. I don't believe it in the slightest. No, that neither is, do I. There's no major organisation who would learn that one of the top roles at the company is going to leave in, what was it, it was six, seven months at the time? Yeah. And they just go, yeah, okay, we'll worry about that in half a year. It just doesn't happen. Even if it is informal discussions first, even if it is mapping out a new hierarchy, even if it is mapping out potential candidates to speak to three months nearer the time, something like that. There's no way it hasn't started. Absolutely not. The next line, it is it is a decision that will be overseen by Klopp and Billy Hogan. I take issue with this. First of all, Billy Hogan doesn't know anything about football, hasn't worked on the football side of our club since taking over. He works on the business side. Mike Gordon has run the football side of our club since he arrived at Liverpool back in 2012 or 2011. So Billy Hogan being involved concerns me. Klopp being involved concerns me even more because this should be the person who is Klopp's direct line manager. The the sporting director should sit above the manager on the flowchart of the organisation. And yet if Klopp is the one making the decision, then how is that person ever going to have any sort of ability to argue with Klopp, to get Klopp back in line, to overrule Klopp on anything, if Klopp is the one basically going about and appointing this person? How does that work? Yeah, I I don't think, again, this is just personal opinion, I don't think that that's remotely right. Um, I wouldn't be surprised that Klopp is consulted in the matter. I wouldn't be surprised even if he is asked for his opinions on certain people. But not overseeing it. I, I think that that's phrased entirely wrong. You can't oversee someone who is being uh, hired even alongside you in the club hierarchy. Let's say that part of Liverpool's decision is to flatten it somewhat. So it is a much more broad spectrum um, decision making team. And the CEO, sorry, CEO, sport director is now going to sit alongside first team manager in the overall hierarchy of the club. You still don't appoint that person, you don't oversee the. Mm. No, just just no. Like I've I've already said several times what I think Klopp's um, roles and duty should be at this point. And yes, he'll have input. And yes, there will be obviously part of the uh, undertaking to find someone new has to be someone who is going to be compatible with working with Klopp because we want him to stay and do good things as he has done already. And so you don't just bring in someone and force him to work with someone. But equally, he doesn't have a majority say. He doesn't have a overarching 
first response to to say this person is suitable, this person is suitable, this person is suitable. It's much more got to be about you know this is the process. This is where you'll you'll directly have your uh, hopefully not confrontations, but communications with this person and how it'll work. And this is the setup we'll have because these other people are leaving as well and that sort of thing. It's not it's not surely going to be an overseeing role. That again would be the wrong way for Liverpool to go as a organization and then it is understood that Liverpool have no plans to recruit a replacement while Ward continues to operate in the job itself and work will go on inside the recruitment department under his watch Liverpool's third sporting director whoever that may be will will initially be working towards developing background work on targets for 12 months time basically saying you know Ward and Klopp will run the show for this January or this summer that's what you which but that's like Julian Ward shouldn't really have any input in what happens this summer because mm. Julian Ward is leaving. And well, when yeah. Michael Edwards announced he was leaving a year in advance, he had very little input in the Darwin Nunes summer. So yes, because there was a direct strange. successor there. Yeah, because there was a direct successor. But I think that that would be much more normal. You would get the well, seven or eight. You say it's more normal. Award. It is because. The, but but the, is it normal in any other field? Because yeah, if, yeah, yeah, if, if you hand in your notice, if you, if you tell your company six months in advance that you're leaving, you're generally cut out of the loop and you kind of float through the last six months. You're not involved in decision-making that's going to impact that company for the next five to six to seven years. I would disagree to an extent. There's always a handover period. There's always, you know, an element. It could be training someone on the job a little bit or at least involving them in the company processes. There would always be still the experience that you have, which is leaned into. You might not have as much sway as you did. And that would, again, go exactly in line with what you've just said in that it was much more Ward than Edwards in terms of Nunez and so on. But you would still be involved in that. And you would still have your... um, let's say your your plans which were already being made nine months ago would still be acted upon. I, I think that that's absolutely right and absolutely normal, to be honest. We'll, 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 we'll disagree. Uh, I don't think Julian Ward should have any say. I think Julian Ward should be getting replaced now. I think we should have been looking to appoint somebody now, not at the end of the season, now. Well, yes. And give that person six months. They, I think the whole club has been run really, really poorly at the moment. And I think Jürgen has far too much input and far too much sway. And I think if you read that Simon Hughes piece on the medical department, he has far too much input there as well that he shouldn't really have any input in. Um, But, you know, that is how it is. Give me your prediction for Liverpool versus Wolverhampton Wanderers in Wolverhampton at Molyneux Stadium on Saturday. I think it's going to be an absolute thriller, a Premier League classic. (laughs) <laughs> I think there are going to be six shots on target across the 90 minutes and I think one of them is going to go in <laughs> you're not going to tell me which goal it's going in though are you I, I'm going to say that I'm going to say that Stefan Basetic is going to get it no I'm not going to tell you which goalkeeper it'll go past well I, I think it's going to be a horrible game of football to watch. <laughs> I, I think, it's I think going we're, to be unwatchable be, bilge. Yes, it is. It's going to be unwatchable bilge. It's going to be Everton times two. But I think... I, I just I don't see us winning a game at the moment in the league. 
We just don't look like a team that knows how to win a game. And Jürgen doesn't look like a manager that knows how to win a game. And I don't even trust him to stick with the same midfield. I wouldn't be surprised at all if Special Officer Hoofy starts in midfield and hoofs his way through 65 minutes before going off. And then we hear that he has a little injury again, even though there's absolutely no injury. It's just an excuse. Because you couldn't possibly announce that you dropped him. Uh, I'm going to say 1-0 to Wolves. I'm going to say that I think ours is going to be the worst fixture of the Premier League weekend by some distance. Let me just have a quick look at the fixtures. Um, Chelsea Fulham will be decent. Arsenal will make Everton a decent game. Sean Dyche's first game against Arsenal. New manager bounce. That could be beautiful. Uh, Brighton Bournemouth will be a good game. United, yeah, no, it, it's us by it's us by a long, long margin. Because at least in other games, at least one of the teams wants to play good football, and you know there's there's loads of disastrously poor defensive teams in this league, like you know Forest against Leeds. And there's no defending taking place there. Brighton Bournemouth, no defending from Bournemouth. Southampton don't defend very well. Leicester can't defend at all. And then Tottenham City on Sunday, I think, could be an interesting one, especially if Arsenal get held to a draw or something by by Big Dyche's Blue Army. Um, yeah, so you're saying 1-0, but you won't say in which direction. And I'll just say I think it's going to be 1-0 to Wolves because I've, I've, lost, I've lost all hope with this team right now. So uh, have you got anything you'd like to plug before we go? Dare I say we'll do another podcast after the closing of the transfer window and try to make it a bit more upbeat because it won't involve Liverpool. Yeah, we'll try. <laughs> um, yeah, we'll try and do we'll try and do something more exciting. Maybe Wednesday or Thursday. Thursday probably is better. Um, yeah. Until then, thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time. Bye bye. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show. Please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically. There's nothing quite like fan engagement, and we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show. The best way to get in touch is over on our free Discord community, where both podcasters and listeners debate the hottest LFC topics 24-7. Sign up free now at anfieldindex.com forward slash discord. You won't regret it. You can also follow us on Twitter at Anfield Index and find us on Facebook by searching for Anfield Index. Oh, and before you go, we'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favourite podcast app. It only takes a couple of seconds, and it means the world to the people who create these free shows. Sports Social Podcast Network.